my privilege this morning to invite you to join with me as we turn to the book of Romans, Paul's letter to the church at Rome, chapter 6. And I want to invite you there. We're going to talk more of a doctrinal message in one sense this week because I want us to prepare for, in two weeks, we are going to have a baptism Sunday. And so that means we will be participating in, in baptisms, and I want you to consider and ask yourself, is that something that uh, I should be doing as a Christian, as a person who has said that I follow Jesus, and is it something that, that God is calling me to? And I want us to kind of deal with that and think through that issue this morning as we turn to Romans chapter 6, and I'm just going to read down here through verse 11. So would you stand with me one more time, and let's... Uh, Let's uh, open this word together. Beginning with uh, verse 1, Paul writes this, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For we have been united with him in a death like his. We will also certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. May God add his blessing to that word. Please be seated. I want to begin by just saying thank you for welcoming Dr. Miller from Malone University last week so very warmly. Uh, I think he connected very well, and I know you appreciated his message. And I think it occurred to me, you know, one of the reasons this academic was able to connect, I think, so very well to our congregation is he he told his story. He, he gave a personal story, and it might not surprise any of us to know that when we tell our stories it involves pain and redemption and hope in Christ because the truth is we all have a story don't we every one of us has a story everyone in this room everyone at the Illyria campus everyone online we have a story everybody has hopes and dreams and burdens and battles that are sometimes even too deep for words and very often too private to see. When they are told, I think, with a sense of honesty, just a rawness at the foot of the cross, I think we know that we are standing on holy ground when we hear those stories. This morning, I want to tell you a baptism story. Now, baptism, again, is the way a Christian expresses in a public way that he or she has put their full trust in Jesus Christ and have become one of his followers. Jesus said to his followers, right before he ascended to heaven, he said, you go out and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them. 
You make disciples and you baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now, baptism involves water. The water is, among many things, a symbol of cleansing. When, when you get baptized, it's the expression of the fact that in Jesus, you get a new story. The slate is wiped clean. You have a new opportunity for life. The cross is the place where stories get turned around. And the Apostle Paul tells us this baptism story in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And I want to just read this very brief passage to you. He gives us this very interesting image. He says, For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, in other words, this is really important, this is foundational, you need to know this. I don't want you to be ignorant. You've got to understand this, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea. Now, let me just stop right there. And the first thing that came to my mind when you read this is this. Wait a minute. In Moses' day, they didn't baptize people. When the Apostle Paul here is talking about Israel getting baptized with Moses in the cloud and the sea, he's referring, in fact, to a quite famous story in the story of Israel in the Old Testament. And for God's people, the people of Israel, the primary, the central narrative of their history was always the story of their deliverance from slavery in Egypt. In fact, a rabbi named Michael Goldberg says the Exodus story was for Israel what the crucifixion story would become for Christians. For Christians, it's the master story, the main narrative where we would get our bearings for all the rest of our understanding of Scripture and history and life. It is where we always come back to. And for Israel, this was their story. They were coming out of bondage, and you remember their story. It was a cruel period. They were oppressed. It lasted for 400 years in Egypt. But the people cried out to God. And God heard their cry, and he cared. And so he sent them a leader named Moses. And God intervened for little Israel by bringing the plagues of Egypt. And you remember the plagues? The mighty Pharaoh's will is broken, and he finally decides to let God's people go. Now, you may remember, as the people of Israel left Egypt, God chose to, to lead them in a rather unique way. Exodus 13 says that by day, the Lord went ahead of them in a cloud to guide them. And by night, he guided them by a pillar of fire. So imagine this, on this day, you would have this great pillar of a cloud, but in that cloud is the very presence of the omniscient, all-wise, all-knowing, all-powerful God. So the first people to have all the information stored in the cloud was not Amazon or Google. It's that little nation of Israel 3,000 years ago. God in the cloud has led them, however, to the edge of the Red Sea. And there they are, camped out by the water. Now you know this story. As they start out this journey, as many of us do in life, 
they're doing it with great courage. In Exodus 14, verse 8, it says, the Israelites were marching out boldly away from Pharaoh. But Pharaoh changes his mind, as you may recall. He decides, wait a minute, who's going to do my dishes? Who's going to clean, uh, uh, wash my underwear, these kinds of things? And so in the very next verse, the Israelites suddenly see Pharaoh and his armies coming after them. So they've been marching out pretty boldly. Things are going well. They're feeling pretty good. But all of a sudden, as they're on the edge of the Red Sea, they realize they're trapped. Trapped between the Red Sea and this army that's coming after them. But Moses tells them God's plan for them is to march right into the sea. And they wonder, we we kind of think about that, and we wonder, well, how bold are they going to be now? And the text interestingly says this, they were terrified and cried out to the Lord. And they said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. But of course, they didn't say that to Moses when they were in Egypt, did they? No, they wanted to be free. They wanted Moses to bring them out of Egypt. But they realized they had not bargained for this. It looks like their story is going to end before it even begins. And so Moses says these amazing words to the people. Again, the scripture says, Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. I think it might be that privately, Moses was just as panicked as the people were because God immediately says to Moses, again, this is the very next verse, God says to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. You see, Moses, it says, sit and be still. God says, get moving. There was something that they could do. Now, God was going to save them, but they needed to move. When it comes to God's salvation, boy, we need to hear this. We need to understand this. God does it all. He does everything, and yet he expects us to move. There is something we can do. Now the question is, move on where, Lord? Into the sea. Hold up your staff, Moses. I'll part the waters. It's going to be okay. Charlton Heston is going to do this in a movie in a few years, and it's going to look really cool. So you go ahead. So going down into the water looked like certain death to the people. And in a way it was. They were dying to their old identity. They were going to have to die to their fears, to their understanding of the goodness and grace of God. They were going to have to die in an old way of life and thinking. And I think this is why Paul reminds the church of this story. Because when they would come out of the water, they would come out into something 
new because God was writing a new story. They trust God. They step into the sea. God parts the water with a strong wind. They pass through that sea with a wall of water on the right and a wall of, of, of water on the other side. And God defeats their enemies. And when they come up out of the water, and this is really important for what Paul is saying here, it gives all the meaning to baptism, this picture they step into a new reality. They go down into the water, they're slaves. When they come out, out of the water, they're free. Are you with me? When they went down into the water, they were in mortal danger. They were going to die. When they came up out of the water, they were safe in God's hands. When they went down into the water, they lived like everybody else in the ancient world. But when they came up out of that water, it was to them a sign that they were gods. And they would go up to Mount Sinai, they would receive the Ten Commandments, they would begin to understand a new way to live, and that way to live would change the world. And so when they went down into the water, they were terrified. But when they came up out of the water, listen to this, they were dancing, literally. Because in the next chapter, in the next chapter, in the next chapter, it might be the first hymn you're at least going to find in Scripture that is sung to God. Miriam, you know that name, she's the sister of Moses, she's a prophet. She writes a song, and the people sing, and they dance, and she says, the Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Remember that old song? We used to sing it all the time in church. I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously, the horse and rider thrown into the sea. And so this is, that's, that's the story that they were experiencing and the glory and the wonder and the victory. In fact, have you ever seen a baptism where someone goes under and when they come out of the water, they got their fist raised, a big smile on their face, and they just show a victory in their expression? That is because they have experienced the victory of God in their life in ways that maybe we don't all know about. Maybe we don't know the intensity of their story, but for that moment, it becomes holy ground. It's a change. No more guilt. No more fear. A cleansing. They are proclaiming this picture in baptism of God's love and forgiveness and grace and power. So here's the thing. When the people went down into the water, they didn't really have a God story to tell. They'd heard about Abraham and Sarah and God's promise to make a great nation. They'd heard the story about Joseph and God's deliverance for him from slavery and prison. But you know, that was a long time ago. That was somebody else's story. But when they came out of that water... And they looked back and they realized what God had done and how the enemy had been defeated. Now they had a story of their own. And God was no longer just the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He was their God. And here's the thing. 
This story that I'm telling you this morning, it happened a long time ago. We like to hear it. It's a good story. But I wonder, do you have a God story of your own to tell? When they went down into the water, they felt like victims, like slaves. But when they came up out of that water, they were new people. They had a new identity. You know, there's a wonderful picture, it seems to me, of this in the Exodus story. In the book of Exodus, in the first chapter, you may remember that the Pharaoh decides that he wants to decrease Israel's population. He thinks that there are too many Israelites. He doesn't really, he's concerned they might gain too much power, too much influence. And of course, we see some of these evil forces even in our own society. And so he says this, he says, the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shifra and Puah, if you see that the baby is a boy, when you're delivering a little Hebrew baby, kill him. Kill him. We don't need this. I'm afraid of them. But what's interesting about this story is they don't do it. They risk their lives, these two women named Shifra and Puah, in an act of extraordinary heroism, I think, risk their own lives. They defy the king to keep these babies safe. The Bible honors that. And so when the Pharaoh calls them in and he wants to find out, hey, why am I just seeing as many babies as I saw before? Why isn't this population decreasing? They say to Pharaoh, you know, these Hebrew women, they just have their babies too fast before we can even do anything about it. We can't stop them. What are you going to do? Now, here is what's interesting to me. Does anybody in this room know the name of the Pharaoh who wanted the little Hebrew baby boys killed? The text never tells us his name. We're never told. I wonder if that's not deliberate. Now, in the hierarchy of Egypt, Pharaoh was at the top. Everybody would know Pharaoh's name. Great pyramids are built for this pharaoh and that pharaoh, the various names. But in that same hierarchy, think about this, the midwives are at the very bottom. They are literally the servants to the slaves of women. They are serving the slaves of women. You can't get any lower in my mind than that. Nobody would care about these women. Nobody would ever need to take note of their names. Plus, if you think about it, their names were not even that great. Especially Pua. Me, me, you know, I mean, a lot of times we'll use baby names, you know, if you, if from, from, uh, from the Bible. But I've never heard anyone say, here's my little girl, Pua. Just doesn't happen. That, 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 that's not going to occur. But in, in God's kingdom, they're the heroes. Their names get written in the book. They are the ones who forever get the recognition in God's word. God is saying, Pharaoh who? 
The people who matter in the story are right here. Shifra and Puah. Their names get in my book. Not, not his. Now we see this again and again in Scripture, don't we? Ecclesiastes 10.7, I was reading in my devotions this week. I have seen servants upon horses and princes walking as servants upon the earth. Again and again, if you take note, you could do a whole study on this. There's a great reversal always going on in God's word. That's kind of the way of God. He turns things upside down. The first shall be last. The last shall be first. A little servant will be the greatest of all. And, and I want you to listen to this. Listen to this. Hell will be filled with people who think they deserve to be in heaven. And heaven will be filled with people who know they deserve to be in hell. It's a great reversal. You'll see it again and again and again in Scripture. Now listen to this. When, when you get baptized, when you become a follower of Jesus, your name gets in the, in the book. And that is better than having your name in the cloud. <laughs> There's no identity theft in this book. Do not be afraid. Only stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you. The Lord will fight for you. That's the promise. And Paul reminds us here that while salvation is very personal, it's not supposed to be private. It's a public thing. This is something God's people went through all together. I recently came across a story uh, recounted by Pastor Andrew, Andrew Young. In 1963, he says, On Easter Sunday morning, a group of people planned to march from New Pilgrim Baptist Church to the Birmingham City Jail, where Martin Luther King Jr. was incarcerated for, of course, protesting segregation and racism. That's when, uh, by the way, Martin Luther King had written letters from a Birmingham jail. But he said this movement was so, well, I'll, I'll tell you something else about this. This movement was so overwhelmingly Christian, it was literally scheduled after church. That was the time they said we'll start, after church. So kind of get a picture of that. But this is what he writes. He writes, by the time church ended, some 5,000 people had gathered in their best Sunday clothes. For those of you under 50, there used to be such a thing as Sunday clothes. The... But the marchers set out in joy. Suddenly, they saw the police, fire engines and firemen with hoses in front of them, blocking their path. Commissioner Bull Connor, who had used such brutal tactics even against children marching for civil rights, ordered them to turn around. 5,000 frightened people, I'm sure, got on their knees to pray. Suddenly, Reverend Charles Billups, one of the oldest leaders of the march, hollered, the Lord is with this movement. Off your knees, we're moving on. Well, Bull Connor was furious. 
He yelled, stop them! Stop them! But this is what Andrew Young writes. He says, but none of the police moved a muscle. Even the police dogs that had been growling and straining at their leashes were now perfectly calm. I saw one fireman, tears in his eyes, just let the hose drop at his feet. And our people marched right between the fire red trucks, the red fire trucks, singing an old gospel lament, I want Jesus to walk with me. Bull Connor's policemen had refused to arrest us, his firemen had refused to hose us, and his dogs had refused to bite us. And I'll never forget one old woman who became ecstatic when she marched through the barricades and shouted, Great God Almighty done parted the Red Sea one more time. (laughs) One more time. God's people at the end of that march, something changed. They were different. Freedom was a little stronger and hate was a little weaker. And I just remind myself this morning, whatever problem you face, whoever your Pharaoh is, whatever might discourage you, these are your words. Fear not, stand firm, see the deliverance of the Lord, which he will work for you. The Lord will fight for you. You only have to be still. And listen, when they tried to stop Jesus, they tried to stop him with threats and fear. They put him in jail. And they beat him with whips. And they crowned him with thorns. And when he stood firm, they hung him on a cross. Of course, what they did not know is the cross is the place where God turns things around. And on the third day, Jesus rose again, and from that moment, the story has changed, and it's still shaking the world. And listen, when somebody receives Christ, when somebody says, Lord, I give my life to you, I surrender it all, my sin I give to you, I repent of my sin. I want to be yours. I want your story to be my story. Your name gets written in the book. Listen, if you've never done that, you've never trusted in Jesus, this might be your day. But listen, a lot of us, maybe we've trusted in Christ, but for whatever reason, we've never taken that next step. Let's get baptized. I strongly ask you to consider joining us two Sundays from now and say, I'm in. I want to proclaim. I want to give testimony. Paul says this, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live or may have a new life. You see, humanly speaking, you might think you'd never get a new start. That divorce, that depression, that disgrace, that failure, that addiction, that job loss, that abortion, that affair, that mental health problem, that crime, that prison term, that scandal, that was the end for sure. But in Christ, there's a new story to tell. Pharaoh is going down. And in Christ, 
there's life. God wants to free us from the bondage of sin. He wants to free you. He wants to deliver you from the fear of death. God wants to turn that mourning into dancing. God wants to give you a new identity and a new purpose and a new way to live. God wants to write your name down in his book. And if you say yes to him, listen, when you go down into the water, you're saying, God, you have it all. I'm yours. I'm surrendering it all to you so I can be raised up with Jesus. And your story becomes a part of the story. You and Moses and Shipra and Pua and Paul and the Corinthians and the Romans and Dr. King and millions of others. There's a place where stories are changed and it's always the cross. And the way we enter into that is through the gift of baptism. You say, Pastor, wait a minute here. I thought salvation meant that, that he did it all. You're right. Be still. God's done it all. And then he says, what are you doing? Move. Do something. You see, we do have a part. We obey and so I invite you to be a part of that. Maybe God's speaking to you, saying, you know what, it's time for me to make my proclamation of faith to God's people. So we're going to do that in two weeks. Now here's what I want you to do. If that's something that God is speaking to your heart, listen, you can ignore that. You'll think about it right now, and if you don't do something right now and you don't connect with one of the staff members or you don't put it on a connect card, you're going to forget, and, and that moment is going to be gone, and you will... Just move on, and you can choose to do that. Or maybe this is the day when you say, Lord, I want to know that June 5th, 2022, is the day I'm going to be able to look in the calendar and say, Lord, I obeyed you. You've done so much for me. I'm going to do this for you as a picture of your grace, your mercy, and your power because I love you for loving me so very much. Let's pray together. Father, I, I do thank you for this word and for this picture of grace that you've given us. Lord, I pray that uh, you would challenge us. Lord, I, I pray that uh, in two weeks there will be a sweet celebration of those who have said yes to following after you. And I know this comes as a challenge. And many of us, Lord, are, are just, we're uneasy. We're uneasy in thinking about doing something in front of anyone. And yet, Lord, you made it very clear that the one who is willing to confess to me, confess my association before me and before others, Lord, is the one I will acknowledge and is truly the one who belongs to me. I pray, Lord, that you would just allow our hearts to be right with you, that we would be still and know that you are God, that salvation is complete, that you've done it all for us. But, Lord, you also call us to move. And one of those pictures is through the gift of baptism. Thank you, Lord, for your grace and your mercy. Do something in our hearts. May we live that life you've called us to. I pray this in your name. Amen.